Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I am so excited about today's guest. She is a broadcast presenter known for Inside the Factory on BBC. She's done loads of documentaries, one of my favourites being 10 Years Younger on Channel 5. And you also, she also helps women harness and hone their own power with her manifesting course. And arguably, her most important role is that she is the mother of two to Coco and Edward Allen. And one thing that I'm, well, I need to say who you are first, it's Cherry Healy. <laughs> I get so excited to talk to you. I forget to say your name. <laughs> that's How fine. Are you? Everything else is more important. And, and I've got three cats. That's me and a nutshell. That's it. Done. Boom. I'm really three well. Cats. Three cats. We've got a full house. It feels really good. I've turned 41 last year. Well, December. And it feels like I've really put my roots down, which is a lovely feeling, actually. I, I've always been a bit of a free spirit and very independent. But yeah, hearing you say all of that is really interesting. It's interesting when someone tells you back your life, but it feels good. I'm really, yeah, I feel settled. Do you know what? It's so interesting because I thought I I, I fully expected to be childless by choice. And also I was single until I was 32 and I did loads of research into this sort of expectation or pressure or idea that you're left on the shelf if you haven't found someone by your late 20s. and if you were, if you reached the age of 23 in France and you weren't married, you were dubbed a spinster or a Catherineette. And this all goes back, obviously, to biologically, we were made to be baby makers. And do you know what? There's all this really interesting research that I don't actually have now about the outdated statistics. So we say to women, you know, you'll struggle to get pregnant in your thirties, let's say, but apparently actually I do have the statistic. The source of this data is on French birth between the years 2670 to 1830. So antibiotics, electricity and fertility treatments were yes to be invented, but yet we still have this sort of baby panic and we still have this notion that we are going to be left on the shelf. And I've had conversations with my friends and to be honest, I felt like this at moments of my singledom, even though I'm, I was loving my life and I actually didn't feel I was lacking at all for not having a boyfriend. But when I would like date these assholes, I remember thinking, should I just settle? I'm getting older now. Maybe I should just settle for a, a nice guy. And don't get me wrong, nice guys are great, but you have to be attracted to them. So I was thinking, like, I'll just pick anyone because, and then I had to like stop myself and also really question, like, why do I feel the need to be saved? 
why do I feel the need to be saved? Like I'm independent, I'm earning money. Unlike women before the 1970s, I can buy a house if I have the money. I can open a bank account. That all of the reasons that we used to need to settle down and social shame is actually something that I really want to get onto. Oh, social shame. What do you mean by social shame? What area? I mean, for a woman... Which one do you want to pick, Ashley? I know. So one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you, and actually it's so timely because this weekend I spent with my friend Vicky, who's been on my podcast before. She chose to adopt on her own. She just turned 40. It was a really long process, and she is a single parent. And interestingly, this morning I... I'm not proud of myself, but I opened the Daily Mail app and there was a story about Lauren Goodger getting pregnant, not someone I know. I think I have met her a few times and she's actually a really lovely girl, but she has just announced that she's pregnant with her second child and her partner, who is the baby daddy and the baby daddy of the new baby, cheated on her two weeks ago. And I was just like, I'm, I'm really interested because I find myself judging women a lot and then stopping myself and thinking, why am I judging? So I did what you should never do. And I looked in the Daily Mail comments out of curiosity and not one comment was there any sympathy towards her. But it was all this whole shame around oh the fact that she will be a single mom. And I thought... Why, like single women, single mothers or single fathers, yes. they are superheroes. And why do we focus the shame on the women who stay to raise the children? Oh, such an important question, such an important point. So I got divorced about nine years ago. No woman gets divorced without giving it a pretty bloody good long thing. I knew that it was going to upset the apple cart immensely. I knew it was going to upset family. I knew it was going to upset friends. It took me five years to make the decision. And when I say five years, I mean the last two years, obsessively thinking about it. I'd be in a yoga class and everyone would be like, all peaceful. And I'd be thinking, can I leave? Should I leave? I really need to leave. I can't leave. You mustn't leave. I must leave. I can't have this life. You mustn't leave. A manic brain like I've never experienced. You were a mum at this point. I was a mum. I knew the relationship wasn't right for him and it wasn't right for me. There wasn't any disarray. There wasn't crazy arguing. There was just no passion. We weren't it wasn't right for either of us. Honestly, I don't want to speak to him for him, but for me, it definitely wasn't the future that I, want, that I wanted. But after a long, long time of weighing it up, I knew I had to. I knew I couldn't also, I couldn't live with that kind of dialogue in my brain. So I, we got a divorce. It was incredibly heartbreaking. It was incredibly difficult emotionally, spiritually, logistically. Now he's an amazing dad, he's a great dad. I'm so lucky, he's a divine person. I get on really well with him. But you know what? Some women have to make that decision and they also have to decide, well, I'm gonna be on my own financially. And how I can't imagine how much harder that decision must be. I mean, 10 times harder than the one I had to make. The respect I have for those women knows no bounds. The bravery to say, I'm gonna to have to do all of this and then I'm gonna have no financial stability and no help with the kids. Those women are goddesses. Now, actually, you said that you judge people. God damn, I judge people. I judge people all day long. Everyone does. And yes, everyone every so often clicks onto the Daily Mail. It's just, it's not, it's not I don't like doing it either, but some every so often it just happens. Well, I make the choice to because I'm weak. But if anyone says that misogyny is not alive and well, you go and have a look at the Daily Mail comments. And the reason they're so interesting to look at, 
as a research piece is they are truthful because people at work, they know that if they say something misogynistic to a woman, they will get fired. If they say something misogynistic to me, they're going to get an earful because that's how it is when you do direct communication. The comments in the Daily Mail are people's like subconscious stream and they're unchecked. And I judge women, of course, actually, but I like you, I question myself forensically all the time. And I hope that as I do that, my little judgment gremlins get smaller and smaller and I beat them with a stick. And I think I love that you do that. And I love that that's the kind of woman that you are. But A, you admit that we can all be racist, sexist, prejudiced. We can all be that all day long because that's the society we've grown up in. The difference between the people I want to hang out with and the people I really don't. The people who admit it and say, I'm really going to try to do better. I'm going to try and rectify my mistakes. But the Daily Mail comments, there should be some kind of billboard that in Leicester Square where they all get posted with their full name and address. I mean, those comments are disgusting. And there are some women who actually go and read them. God help them take their phones away because they'll break your heart, really. I used to, funnily enough, when I was catapulted into this industry through reality TV, which where you literally go from being, I don't want to say a no one because everyone is a someone worthy of, but in terms not of known like by other people, yeah. the industry and knowing how the industry works, I went from being nobody knowing me and talking about me to everyone knowing and talking about me for that short period of time that I was on it. And I remember reading the Daily Mail comments and it was also before I was, wise enough to not I was a people pleaser so reading horrible things about me I was thinking how can I change to prove that I am not that person and eventually I stopped but obviously it was still a novelty to my family as well and I remember my mum ringing me up being like actually my parents are Geordie just for context (laughs) actually I can't believe what people are saying about you they're saying you're a beach wheel you're a how are you a beach wheel and I thought do you know what This is actually like alarming to me that I was a size eight, probably a size six, and I was considered a beach whale. I was like, what? I mean, and they were probably some of the kinder comments that came out. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because we all still judge. If you think that we've got this funny dichotomy of you say you're a people pleaser. Well, think about the whole of the school institution. It's teaching children to be people pleasers. Look up, please and thank you. Yes, you know, you've got to mind about what people think. And that's how society works. Being a people pleaser is actually a very useful way to function in society. It's it's a, it's been conscientious. Like my son is a real people pleaser, but I actually don't mind that about him. He really minds about people. He really minds about people being happy and nice. He'll ask people if they want a drink. He'll be, he'll share his blanket. He's a really sweet little boy. You're right. Being a people pleaser is a good thing it's as long as you have boundaries. But actually now you're on the telly. Jim, Bob and Sue can see you. And so that people pleasing mechanism is spread out into the ocean. It's like, I want everyone. I do think that people who go who are on the telly or who do jobs of a public profile, there should be some kind of course. Do you think? Some kind of like online course that you can go oh here you go you're on made in chelsea you're on the news you read the weather here's a link to the online course telling you how not to give a shit about what jill thinks one of my favorite sayings is what helen thinks about my skirt is none of my business i think because i was in production i was a researcher and an assistant producer going through television i learned from the backstage like peeping through the curtains about how vile people can be to people on the telly. Because I was watching these girls get destroyed in front of my eyes. They'd come into the program, lovely, shiny, excited, and they would leave broken. And, I, and so I think I had that. So I 
because I'm incredibly sensitive, like a meerkat. Okay. I don't look at the I don't look at the comments. I only read reviews if they've been vetted by my family. They read me bad ones, but they don't read me ones that are full of vitriol. I don't care if they think I'm overweight or if they don't like my clothes. I'm really happy and I really love my life. And I put a little bubble over myself like this and it's fucking bulletproof. It is absolutely bulletproof. And it's that some things get through, but you know, people go, oh, you should grow a thick skin. I don't want a thick skin. I have a really thin skin and I'm a really nice friend and I'm really fun to be around and I'm really happy. And that skin is gonna stay nice and thin and flexible and, and empathetic. And I feel, and I love, and I care. And I think it's sad when, when these women get broken, you know, we have so many examples of how women stop being creative. They stop going for programs. They, you know, they move, they leave, they leave the industry. So we lose these beautiful creative spirits because they've been broken by dicks in the comments, in the daily announcement. <laughs> People are fucking angry and unhappy. They're angry and they're unhappy. And that if you were writing in the daily mail comments, there is only one, identity that you carry and that is you're fucking ignorant and angry this is like such an off tangent topic but it's interesting because i had a conversation this weekend with my friend vicky who is a single parent to her amazing daughter like she, the fact that you know she chose to be a single parent she adopted like she is a superhero and how she how any of anyone is able to parent on their own especially as a woman having to face the pathetic shame and stigma and judgment but she's now decided to like enter into the dating world and she said to me after somebody was obviously really rude about her circumstances they're not interested because she's a single one and she said oh maybe I'm just too nice and it's exactly what you what you're saying it's like but what is wrong with being nice and being nice yeah. is a great thing and I will get the saying wrong because that is literally what I do especially since having a baby I'm like miss I call myself Mrs Malaprop because if there's a phrase or saying <laughs> I will butcher it <laughs> but isn't is there something a saying like just because you get one flat tire don't put out the other three yeah. and just because that one person has really warped outdated judgmental mm. views about the fact that you're a single parent and the fact that you have adopted don't let him impact mm. you on your kindness and your mm. niceness because actually you will you and your daughter will be a blessing to Absolutely. somebody I think that I've really found hugely helpful is to learn about the history of where it comes from it's almost like you smashed this illusion that they're right so it's really historical. I'm, I'm sure people already know this, but I found it really interesting. So in the Victorian ages, when women were vibrant, when they talked a lot, when they didn't want to get married or they didn't want children, they did anything that wasn't just being a nice, quiet, baby-making factory that cooked and cleaned and facilitated a man's life, like staff. You were staff. If you didn't want to be staff, and this, I am, I am really condensing a lot of things, but they were just for kind of... Um, I don't know this. I'm fascinated. I'm like, come so, on. This is really a brief. I'm abbreviating, of course. So if a woman was, she didn't want to be the maid, essentially, and facilitate her husband's life, then she would be given a hysterectomy. She would be given treatment. She was thought to be mentally unwell. And if you think about hysteria, I think it's connected to the Greek word. I think the Greek word is hysteria. And if you think about hysterectomy, so she would, they would try and calm her down. And if a woman, by the same note, if a woman was decided to be a single parent, her children would be taken away from her. They'd be given to the father. There wouldn't even be a court case. It would just, that's what it happened. The children were the, were the husband's property. 
They were shamed. They were put in workhouses. They were thought to be sinful. Every word that you could put on that mother. And that's because they wanted to keep the family unit together more than anything. And that was that was because of well, religion and culture and everything came together. But everything to stop a woman breaking up the family home. And the reason I believe, this is just my hypothesis, but the reason for that is because I think the setup for women was so shit. So they had to put chains on women because who wants to be a maid all their life? Who does? No one. So you have to then bash it into women that this is your life. This is your meaning. This is your value. And if you step out of that, you will go into a workhouse. You will die of poverty. You will be shamed. You'll be thought of as a whore. You will have your hysterectomy. I mean, Ashley, what worse things could you say to a woman to lock her in her own home? It was chains. And so women didn't leave. Women didn't become single mothers. And if they did, it was by not by their own choice often because the consequences were so heinous. And this is a hangover from that. There is an anger in society when a woman decides to become a single parent. And if a woman decides to have a life and be happy after being a single mom, I mean, the rage. You're dating? You're dating as a single mom? How can that be? It's so interesting because we moved into a house in Essex in the summer and I found out recently that it actually used to belong to the nuns where basically women who gave birth out of wedlock were all, you know, underage or whatever it was, were sent to this house to have their babies and then essentially get their babies taken. It's like a mother and baby house. Exactly. The mother and baby houses. Also, I thought... What a great fuck you to the history of this house that I am not a single parent, but I'm an unmarried woman living with her boyfriend and their bastard child. I was like, that is <laughs> that is a great fuck you to history. Really like beautiful and radiant and public and speaking out and talking about body. It's like you are infusing the house with a very different energy. But I get such great energy from this house, you know, and so it was really, like, shocking to me when I found that out. But I like to think it's, like, I don't know, all the... the Well, the house house needs you, darling. The house needs you. It needs good you. It needs fresh energy. And I'm sure there's lots of women who lived in it before, before you, who have also done that work. But we need to speak out. And I think women doing wonderful things and feeling happy and maybe being single or unmarried or whatever it is, to say to the women below us, I don't give a shit if Jill or Steve carry on for the rest of their lives thinking that women are women of the night if they're married. Oh God, well, she got divorced again. I really don't care. They can sit and read their papers and eat their croissant are fine, live their life. I want the women bef- after us to not be scared. I don't want women in their 20, who's, who are 25 who got married early thinking, I'm gonna stay in this awful marriage that I shouldn't have done because I don't want to be a single mum. You don't want to be a single mum. Being a single mum is really great. Yes, there's a logistical difficulties in it, but I tell you what, it's way better than being in an unhappy marriage. Like different league better. For me, it's really interesting. And I've always thought this because obviously I was single and didn't want children up until into my thirties. And I thought a lot about the milestones that we really celebrate in life. I have a friend going through divorce now, although she doesn't have children, but it's so interesting that we put so much celebration. And by the way, this isn't a diss to anyone who 
of course has babies or gets married because I think things that make people happy are wonderful like follow what makes you happy but what Mm. I have issue with is the fact that we celebrate those things so much above other things which is also Mm. why I think people maybe are more likely to make the wrong decisions because who doesn't want to get those celebrations who doesn't want to put up a picture saying I said yes or whatever that kind of meme is because you want validation and and you want a celebration and you want a party. And I remember I bought a house on my own and even, you know, career highlights and there was no celebration and there was no mm. uh, gift list and there was no... I remember even being bitter about going to going to weddings and stuff like I have to pay for my stuff. Like I mean, I, I was a proper Scrooge about it, and I've grown and I've learned, and I'm happy for everyone now. But I think we should have like huge divorce parties because you're. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, it's traumatic and stuff. But what strength to get divorced? And oh, and I going back to what you were saying about your own judgments. You judge single women because you used to judge single women, and that I think is a huge light bulb moment for me because and I talk about my pre-judgments of mums before I became one Mm. and I think you know even when I came when I became pregnant and I cringe now and I see other people doing it because we all have this well not we all but a lot of us have this preconceived idea like even the word mumsy like we have a preconceived idea about what it is to be a mum and we we judge people and then we come to the other side and we're so paranoid which is also part of like the mum identity which a lot of this podcast is about like finding who the fuck I am again because I've got all of me who I was before and the judgments about being a mum and then I've got me as a mum and I'm like well which fucking one am I and it's because I was so judgmental it's really difficult I think if you like you say like before I became a single mum I didn't know I didn't think that I judged single mums but then when I became a single mum and I started to be terrified and paranoid about what people thought of me without them even having to speak you know I thought, where is this coming from? And I was like, oh, it's me. Now, not all of it. Lots of people did judge me, and I could, you know. And society has done some shocking things about perception of women. You know, I remember David Cameron when all the riots were happening, saying, "Oh, it's those boys with single mums at home." Oh my god! No, he did not. No, he did. The only reason that there may have been a link is because statistically, there are more single mums in a in families of lower income. But that that because the reasoning of that is so complicated and so nuanced, I'm not going to go into it now. But the fact that he linked those tells me what an ignorant man he is. And I think Margaret Thatcher, she said that children were better off with adopted parents than with their single mother. So these are not old. These are not old. This happened relatively recently. So this is we are breaking the stigma. And in terms of identity, this is why podcasts and the more the merrier, and content, and YouTube. This is why this content is still so powerful and needed, because we are breaking, you are breaking a stigma that is still there. And when growing up, did I ever hear a conversation between two women about being a single parent and having a wonderful life? Like, I love my life, I'm really happy, but the image portrayed of single mothers and mothers was not celebratory, I don't think. What I found the portrayal of being a mum was almost so rosy and glossy. I mean, people say that social media glosses over motherhood, but for me, I I feel that whenever we are open about the challenges Mm -hmm. of motherhood, we are shot down with, you should be grateful, don't be negative. And I even said it. Let me question you because you say it was all rosy and I agree with you 
it was rosy in that it was all shiny and nice. But I looked at that as a kid and I thought, that's terrifying to me. That is that idea that all you do as a woman is you turn into this robot. You turn into this like smiling, slightly dead inside. Here's the food on the table. Here's the food on the table. Here's the laundry done. Here's the laundry done. Are you okay? That woman, it's like she gets switched, she switches off herself and she's all about caring for other people. It's like she's not allowed to have her own interests or her own power or her own fun. And so it's, I agree. The portrayal of that was wrong in two ways. A, you don't see clearing up the shit and being tired. You don't see the reality of being a parent, but you also don't see the reality of being a woman. It's incredibly robotic. I just want to make another point because you made such a good point about celebration. And I think really I want to talk about that because just for a second, because we are ritualistic beings. We like rituals. We're spiritual, emotional, and physical. We need physical things. And that's why we need rites of passage. You know, when we were living um, as a one collective unit, we would have rites of passage when you became a woman, there'd be some kind of mark. And when a woman started her period, we don't anymore. It's just kind of slightly strange, awkward conversation you have with your mum at best. And someone, someone puts some sanitary God, pads. Well, I was at boarding school and we had a tea party. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I remember going to knock on the matron. I mean, this is how old school our boarding school was. But yeah, we knocked on, I knocked on Matey's door and she was like, oh, darling, lovely, let go get the girls. And then we kind of had a semi lesson about periods. But bear in mind, I still did not know that we had a third hole. So when she gave me tampons, I remember going with my friend Lucy Brown, she was called. We literally <laughs> had our legs together. And we were like, where is this mysterious third hole? And and I remember like, I think I put, tried to put a tampon up my bum and I was like, no, it's not that one. And then like into my wee hole. And I was like, what? And so yeah, we've got a long way to go, but we a did have a celebration. Oh my God, I went to boarding school too. And I think we all sat on beanbags and ate toast and marmite outside in the common This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, a brand new podcast bringing together people's real ghost, extraterrestrial and paranormal stories, as well as getting some inside details from those who study the supernatural. I'll be listening through your paranormal stories every week and try to understand them, as well as chatting about my own encounters with an occasional paranormal investigator too. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. Just search for Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding. I grew up never really feeling particularly maternal, but always presuming I would get married and have children in the future. Mm. So I think, you know, when I was 16, I, I was like... I'll get engaged at 26 and I'll have my first baby at 27 and I'll do that. But you forget that number one, it having finding a compatible partner is like the main thing of it. <laughs> but it was always in the future. And then it was only when I kind of, you know, met Tom and he really wanted children. And it almost like scared me because I was like, well, actually, even I'll say this, even when I found out I was pregnant, I rang my friend Jackie. And when she was like, it was a surprise pregnancy. It was, and I remember being like, oh my God, it's lockdown. Like, what am I going to do about this? And she was like, you know that you can have the baby. And I was like, but I'm too young. And she was like, you're 33. And I was like, <laughs> and I think it's because in my head, it was always, I'll do it in the future because it never yes. quite felt right in the moment. It's so funny. <laughs> like, you're 33 years old. <laughs> you had you know, dreamed. Oh, I got, I, I had a surprise pregnancy when I was 28 with Coco. And I think, had I not got surprised pregnant, I would have been exactly the same as you. I was really happy in my television career. I was an assistant producer. I'd worked incredibly hard to get there. Absolutely loved it. And there was no, there, I would, no, no way would I have got pregnant by planning it for a very, very, very long time. And it was a really happy mistake. And I absolutely loved her dad. And so it was a really, I was like, go on. But I absolutely shit my pants. I was listening. I found out in a disabled blue in Westfield in Shepherd's Bush. I was listening to Usher at the time. And I didn't even turn it. I didn't think I was pregnant. I just was like, oh, my boobs feel massive. I feel a bit sick. So I went into that. I've never done a pregnancy test in my life. And I don't know why I did it. I just did it. Shit. And I remember with my ear, earbuds in, just looking at it and Usher like, bang in a These are my confessions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I called my friend Ellie and I walked around Westfield and I swore I'm all the way from Topshop to Zara just swore and she went fuck 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 and then I remember saying to her I just don't feel ready and she said you know you love you love him and you want him to be with him for the rest of your life you could do this and I remember thinking yeah I'm actually not too young but if you haven't grown up wishing for it and begging for it it hits you like a train it hits you like an absolute train I don't think anyone 
Well, some people What's already. the age gap between Coco and Edward? It's four years. And I think, again, I put off having another baby for a while because the first one had been such a shock. Although, I have to say, the minute she came out, I was madly in love. I absolutely love being a mum. It's I absolutely love it. It's going to be really, really difficult at times. It, the difficulty is nothing to do with them. The difficulty is to do with logistics. So, But I absolutely love being with them. But then when I had Bear, we planned it in a much more kind of conscious way and it was really calm and really lovely. And I liked the age gap. I really love the age gap because I feel like Coco and I had four years when it was just us. I don't do well with chaos. I, just, I, get, I, I like calm and peace. And so it allowed me to have a really peaceful four years with Coco. And then Bear came around and she was a little bit older and then she was going to school. So it was, it was all just manageable. Although they're not wildly close. I mean, they're, they're nice to each other, but not wildly close. So I sometimes, you know, you, there's a bit of a payoff there, I think. Because it's really interesting because obviously Alf is now, well, over one, which feels mad to say, like, where has the year gone? Like the fact I'm a mum of a one-year-old. But I, I keep thinking, like, would, would I want him to be an only child? Am I able, <laughs> and am I able to do it again, like, in biologically, yeah. but also, like the mental, physical, everything, like, can I do that again? And Tommy has um, three siblings and there's four years between all of them as well. And probably similar to what you're saying that, you know, they're really close, but there's always been an age gap. The age gap gets smaller as you get older, I think. Yeah, for sure. But then I think I always said, if I ever have children, I want one year between, but obviously I didn't even like do the maths about that. I was like, I mean, I've still had stitches, (laughs) but you know, I was, And even when I find out that people have babies really soon after, and don't get me wrong, again, this is like no judgment and I'm delighted, especially because I know a lot of friends with fertility issues who've managed to have children straight after. And I think that's wonderful. But I remember thinking like, how are they even having sex yet? Like, oh my God. I know. I think there's really like pros and cons of both, but I have really loved having the age gap because I really feel like I had that lovely time with Coca. I was also meant that I recovered mentally as well like I started to really feel like myself again and that was important for me because I wonder for me if I'd left it too long I wouldn't have I loved that I got to find myself again I started going out with my friends I started wearing my old clothes you know not, I'm not talking in size of t- size but in terms of you know when you go out on the town and you wear like wildly impractical things and you go and have fun so I was I started to feel like myself now I loved the balance between finding myself and being a mom. And I really like sunk into that and was like, oh, okay, this is what, this is what the gang is. This is what the new dynamic is. I love this. And then, so when Bear, when I had Bear, I had something to go back to. So obviously you, you lose your body again and you become, you know, that first six months having a baby, really your life is so much about that baby, of course. But because I'd had time to find myself, it wasn't, that wasn't too distant a memory. So I could do it again. So yeah, I I also, people do say this and I found it to be true. Having Bear was so, so much calmer and so much, I think, easier for me. I just knew what I was doing. With Coco, when your first kid, it's just, it's like being picked up and put into a foreign country and someone goes, go on then. Have a laugh. And also at the same time, dealing of all dealing with all your like prejudgments and also that I for me I found anyway, it's also the the lack of understanding. Like I feel like when you're a mom, you're almost like put into a new 
world that you didn't even know existed you kind of thought you knew but you had no idea (laughs) and so also a lot of like my friendships changed and I've always said like I get it because I apologized to so many of my friends who were mums once I became one because I was like oh my god I didn't ask you anything like why didn't I come around and let you nap like I and (laughs) and I've got a friend that does it now she's like how's Alf anyway what else is new and I'm like no there's literally nothing else like this this has been it now there's starting to be else but there wasn't else. And she never really asked. And I was taking that personally. But then I was like, but I didn't before I knew. And some people are really good. Like I've got right. friends who don't have children and don't want children. And they're great with him. But in general, massively generalizing, it's just that you're in, you enter into this new world and dynamics change. That's true. Yeah, how many times did people say when you're putting, they were like, oh my God, and I've done this. Exactly. Oh my God, I'm so going to come and babysit. They obviously don't, no one speaks like that, but... How many of your friends, if you caught them on a Friday night, you'd be like, so can you not one again, generalization, some people would be there, but I wouldn't even call them. I'd be like, go and live your life, go and do your thing. Like I offered it to people and I don't think I've ever babysat for a friend's child even once. And then when you become a mom, it's too late because you need it. I actually thought to myself after spending the weekend with Vicky, my amazing single mom, mm-hmm. that I was like, I need to actually give out vouchers you know how, like on valentine's day when you're a teenager you give like sex vouchers or fever <laughs> yes. vouchers, whatever they are like i yeah you want blow job i yeah you that we, that's what we need to do for parents like we actually do what gift i owe you one day nap i owe you a babysitting oh. i remember when i was in the, the grips of sleep deprivation and it was on this podcast so people listening have been through it with me and Alf was waking up every 30 minutes for a good like months and months and I only just feel now that I'm starting to get my sanity back but I remember a friend messaging me like sending hugs and I remember being like fuck your hugs I want you to come over and let me nap what 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 good are virtual hugs also I want a physical hug like I want sleep I can't, I can't eat a hug. Bring me a lasagna and take the baby out for two hours. Take the baby out for two hours. Cooked meals. Oh, cooked meals. That needs to come in the checkbook. We need to go to Anne Summers. I think you need to do like an online portal where people can say, right, this is what I'm going to do. Frozen lasagna and a hug. Uh, Maybe we can do that. Fuck your virtual hug. Fuck your virtual hug. (laughs) Fuck you. We can do that for divorces as well, like a little checkbook of like, while you get your life back together, here's Mm. the checkbook, I'm here. Yes. Cash it in. Here's 50 quid because you may need some baby, you may need some childcare because you know I'm not living with another adult. Here's 30 pounds for Deliveroo when you feel really sad and you don't know what the hell you're like. And the brilliant writer, Amy Poehler, she wrote, she's this brilliant comedian, she wrote in her book, getting a divorce is like getting every single thing you own and then just chucking it in the air. And then you slowly over the course, I think it takes two years. That's what she said in her book. That's how I found it. My godmother said to me, it would take two years. I reckon it's two years on the nose where you suddenly feel like my life is back and my life is my own. And I feel like I'm home again. But I think 50 pound delivery vouchers, this is actually got, you've got to do this. You've got to do that for new mums as well. Nap vouchers. God, I feel like this is a great thing. The sad thing is that I'm, we can't. We shouldn't really have business meetings on a podcast because now <laughs> it's open to everyone. Unless I trademark this before it, this uh, podcast is released. We are the worst entrepreneurs ever. I really hope, by the way, that somebody does this business. And please, please, if you do this business, like let us know that it's because of this conversation because I think it's brilliant. Cherry, I feel like I could talk to you for ages. 
sometimes I've forgotten that I'm even doing a podcast. Every week, I basically read out a message from one of my listeners who gets in touch. And this one is from Erin, who I've not actually read in advance. So she got in touch on the email, which is askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com. And she said, hi, Ashley, I've just watched your stories from last night about overwhelm anxiety. And although I did send you a DM when I saw your story about considering antidepressants, I'm sure you get inundated with my with DMs and I really didn't want this to miss you in case no one has ever mentioned it to you and like me you had no idea it was even a thing when I hear you speak about how you're feeling at the moment it's honestly like looking at myself in the mirror without the great hair by the way ka-ching not today but thanks Uh, a couple of months ago and now I'm coming out the other side of it and I've spoken to some professionals and done some research and I really do believe the reduction and stopping of breastfeeding my son massively impacted my mood um this is so interesting because obviously I'm a bit ahead now. I have stopped breastfeeding, mm. but she said, in short, I had to call my husband home from work one day because I was so low and I was worried he wouldn't make it through the afternoon live until he got home at dinner time. I know that's a big statement. It still oh. cares, scares me to say it, but I do have a better understanding of these intrusive thoughts now with the hormone imbalance of stopping breastfeeding. And I was given tablets to dry my milk up, which I think just pushed me over the edge. I believe the gradual drop in hormones, as Will fed less, just slowly, slowly dragged me further and further down. Looking back now, it's easy to see how it was all connected. But what I did want to say, as well as raising awareness of PWD, which is post-weaning depression, it does get easier. I actually said to my husband yesterday that this week Will has made being a parent so fun and enjoyable. And although, yes, I feel bad, I didn't always feel like that before. It's just the truth. Anyway, if you made it this far, I really do hope you're okay. Go easy on yourself and sending you a big, awkward hug. I hope this message has helped you and others who are going through the same. Erin, thank you, by the way, so much for writing such a long message. But it's so interesting that I'm reading this now because I hadn't read it in advance. And I, in the last week or two weeks, have stopped breastfeeding. And I've I feel more like myself and this is not, you know, everybody knows how much I love breastfeeding. So please, this is not to put anyone off or anything. Cause I'm so proud of the journey, but I definitely, I didn't know about post-weaning depression. And I suppose there is an element of like enjoying my autonomy. You know, I'm not having to get dressed in the morning thinking like, can I get my boob out in this, but not too much that society will judge me for having my boobs out. Like there's a lot that's going on as someone with big boobs. Now I just get dressed and if it's cold, I put on, whatever I want to put on to protect myself from the cold. And I don't have to think about someone on my boobs all the time. And it is like the first time, like hearing you say, it, you know, it started, it took a while to get over that like initial shock of motherhood. And I genuinely am starting to feel like I'm loving Alf. I feel like I've got my ducks in a row more that whether like, you know, with childcare to be able to get my work done. So then when I'm with him, I'm not thinking I need to be doing my work and feeling guilty about it. And, I am actually starting to enjoy it. And that's why, like, God help me. I'm asking you about what it's like to have a second child. And then I have to be like, whoa, just enjoy getting to see your friends again. (laughs) Because you've sorted your shit out. And I I think it's funny, it takes a while to sort your shit out. It really does, because it is like an atom bomb. That was really interesting, the email, but I really didn't get on with breastfeeding at all. I I really thought I would do it. I thought I'd do it easily. I've got quite big boobs as well. I suppose I just, for some reason, I thought that that would mean that I would breastfeed easily. It was a nightmare. I was back in hospital with Coco. I got mastitis so badly. I didn't know what it was, so I, I just kept on trying to breastfeed. And then I got taken into A&E and they kept me in there for five days and pumped me full of antibiotics. And I, I was very, very, very unwell. And then I just, I stopped after that and I pumped and I absolutely started to love being a mum immediately after that. It wasn't 
it wasn't for me. I really, I cried every time she breastfed. It was a nightmare, actually. It was an absolute nightmare. With Bear, I gave it another go because I knew a lot more and I knew when to spot mastitis. I got antibiotics really quickly, so I was, it wasn't as miserable. I only did it for two months. I'm really glad I did it for two months. But then when I stopped, again, you do slightly, you have a lot more freedom. Although I did enjoy it more. I, I think it's so baby dependent, but my God, it's not always easy. And I think that's great, you know, like, I wish people didn't feel guilt about their choice to breastfeed or not, because it's not for everyone. And like you said, you got dread when, when you tried to breastfeed bear and I had the opposite. It, I was worried about stopping because I was like, will I still like this? Cause it was really the only bit of it I loved at the beginning or throughout, you know, especially when I was feeding low, I was like, at least I can look at my baby and my boobs. And I also felt as someone who's always had big boobs and always had that like sort of, judgment or comments, you know, stop seeking attention or being made to feel like my body was this like sexual asset that I had to cover up if I wanted to be taken seriously, that suddenly it was almost like I felt like I was reclaiming my body in a maternal way, which was the opposite. And I just think I wish society knew how hard it was for women to breastfeed. So A, People didn't feel the need to carry on if it wasn't working for them because everybody knows that. Well, I wish more people knew the health benefits so they could make educated decisions, but also that they had the support that they didn't have to stop if they didn't want to. That's number one. But I also wish people understood how consuming it was so that we didn't have to deal with like ignorant comments around like women should cover up, women should stay in the house it's attention seeking to breastfeed in public. It's like, do you want someone just to live in their home for a year? Like you, I don't think people quite realize how consuming it is. And even like the psychology of it, like having to get dressed to be able to have easy access to your boobs, having to give up your body and also using your body in a different way, because like boobs are seen as sexual. So whether you want that or not, and also getting to enjoy like boobs and sex. Like now, if Tom goes anywhere near my nipples, I'm like, get off my udders. I don't think I'll ever, ever go back to like enjoying. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. (laughs) Coming. It's a coming. Um, I've been following your breastfeeding journey really closely because I find that really fascinating. And I love that you've been so open about it. And every time you do those posts, I'm just saluting you from afar. And it was, I was, I I was happy for you when I know quite recently you said that you were stopping only because I felt like, I felt like, God, how do I know? But I did think, oh, it's, you've, you've made your own decision based on your individual circumstance. I really felt like you had made that decision for yourself and hadn't been pushed into it. And that's why I was so happy for you that you made that decision because breastfeeding, I mean, I made a, made a documentary about breastfeeding called Is Breast Best? And no documentary has caused more vitriol and horrendous comments than that documentary it's this amazing war between people who really think that they they want the choice and then people who think that people shouldn't have the choice i wish someone had told me about mixed feeding because that really changed my life so bear i was able to breastfeed bear for two months even though i I have to find it really difficult because i mixed feed i mixed fed is it called combi feeding? So you give like combi feeding. Yeah. And that was really wonderful. So I could get, let my boobs have a rest. And then I, but it allowed me to breastfeed him for two months. And I know that's not a massively long time, but for me, considering how traumatized I was from Coco, that was really lovely. So it's funny because, you know, the NCT classes, 
Did you do them? I didn't do them, but I hear I did. I did a couple of them and I maybe I missed missed them, but I didn't go. I didn't I couldn't go to all the sessions I was working. So I kind of wish they would do more on what happened after the birth, like you could get postnatal weaning, you know, all of these things. I think actually it's quite easy to put on the nappy. I want to know what happens after I've given birth. Do you know what? It's so interesting because my pelvic health physiotherapist, Marta Kinsella, she's called amazing, amazing person. She has been pushing for, I don't know if it's NCT or bump and baby, but all of these classes to talk more about postnatal bodies like what happens to the vagina the fact that you shouldn't be loading up you know we're all so excited to get our baby carriers on and carry our babies around and she was like you are not giving your pelvic floor a chance to rest like you are essentially carrying a weight on your body like sit down don't go for the walk like heal and And you know what the consequence of that is the consequence if you don't prolapse you can get oh, yeah prolapse. I had prolapse I had I had anal prolapse and I talk about it yeah. a lot and it was traumatic because I wasn't oh. I was just not prepared I, did, mm. I, I remember being excited to give birth because I was like now I finally know the mystery of what happens to a woman's vagina because like <laughs> everyone when you give birth I feel like there's a standard procedure now that you you document your pregnancy not everyone but online document yep pregnant pregnant pregnant. you go under there's like a social media blackout for a week or two and then you emerge out the other side with a beautiful picture of you and your baby and you might talk a bit about the birth but it's normally they weigh this I'm so in love and I was like but what about your body like what what is your vagina saying interesting I never thought about that before that's really that must be really scary if you're watching that and you're like what happens what yeah, but I was fascinated. I was like, yeah, but how is your vagina? What's <laughs> that like? I want, I don't, yeah, yes, I'm glad the baby's here and healthy, but like, I want to know my vagina went up to 10 centimeters and now it's. Like, how is it now? And I was like, but why is no one talking about how the is your Yeah. Do you how still have piles? Which, by the way, I still have piles a year later. Yeah, but- I've got piles. I talked about that on my doc. I made a documentary called Cherry Has a Baby. And I remember always saying, and this is something I, you know, I was when I was just joking with my friends, I always go, for the love of God, just anything except piles, anything but piles. They sound so gross. Oh my God, they sound so gross. What's the first thing I get? Fucking piles. I carried a chest of drawers. I was helping someone move house because I'm a dick. And they were like, no, no, I was just, I was more there for moral support and help, but I'm really impatient. And someone was making a right song and dance of, of taking this little side table down the stairs. I was like, oh, for God's sake. So I carried it down the stairs. And I was like, oh, that wasn't good. And I got piles. And so I had I just had to talk about it on the on the TV because I just felt like it was it was an honest, there was a piece of honesty there. But they're really, really common. So I didn't do NCT, but I did a, an episode a couple of weeks ago with Natalie Rushdie, and she said that in NCT, when they talk about what happens in birth or after briefly, they send the men out for a coffee. And I was like, do not. Do, like they need to know like they really need to know that like, also I was making Tom check my stitches because I was like is my vagina still there is it attached like what is going on down there can someone please tell me and like I don't like Marta said they're just not interested in including that in NCT and I don't know if it's like the prudishness or the shame and taboo around sex in our society which you know we've covered with single mothers and shame and all of this yes. shit teach us about our bodies and teach the men alongside it because if you miss that opportunity for them to sit and it may it might be awkward for some but if you if you include it in a relaxed way in a relaxed tone 
what people hear is this is nothing to be ashamed of this is nothing to be nervous of if you make people if you make the men go out for whiskey and cigars what you are saying to them is this is women's problem and it's mucky and secret that's what you're saying and, and I isn't. think then that puts more pressure on people when they aren't ready to have sex because we for whatever reason we have this like archaic caveman idea that if we don't have sex with a man after birth that he'll leave us or whatever it is and I remember saying to Tom like oh I'm just not ready for sex and he was like do you know I think I'm terrified I'm not ready and I was like oh I hadn't really thought about you I just presumed that you were like the caveman with your stick like waiting (laughs) hell no I do not want to have sex with you of course that's that's interesting I've never thought about that but of course it must be scary because you know that your partners have been hurt you don't know how that's I mean that's yeah What's going to go? What's going to happen? The other stitches go. And also, with, alongside the education, if if the partner is breastfeeding, they need to know that there is absolutely no natural lubrication. I feel like that is, should be number one in the sex ed. I didn't know that. Yeah, because the, the estrogen change, there is literally no like. It's like a doll. I mean, why? Why do we get taught how to put on a nappy when you can Google it, and yet you you don't know that? Oh my god! I think because I wasn't have I wasn't breastfeeding. I didn't experience that, but I mean that's a relatively large piece of information that we should be we should be told. Yeah, I mean it's quite intense, isn't it? So anyway, there are amazing people campaigning or pushing for these classes, the pregnancy classes, preparation classes to include more about postnatal. So if you're listening to this and you're doing classes, keep pushing. Be like, what happens to the vagina? Be the disruptive, the disruptive person. That's like, what about prolapses? I want to talk about piles and lube. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, I could talk for so long, but I'm so conscious of, you know, time is precious as a mom and for people listening as well. So I've actually loved chatting to you, Cherry. It was amazing. I feel like I didn't cover half of what I wanted to, but so much of what, like, it was great. I loved it. Thank you so much for having me on. You brought so many fantastic points. I could have talked to you forever. Such a delight to be on and chat to you. Thank you so much. And if you do have any questions or any comments about today's episode, then please, please remember to get in touch by emailing askmumstheword at gmail.com. And you can leave a voicemail or a voice note, I suppose it is, on WhatsApp. The number is 75 And of course, you can leave it as a review on Apple Podcasts as well. And if you are on Apple Podcasts, I feel like such a YouTuber every time I say this, but please leave us a review and a five-star rating, follow and subscribe. <laughs> but mainly, I just hope that you're enjoying it. And if you think someone would enjoy this episode, then please tell them about it. And I'll be back same time, same place next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.